1: Welcome back to the Evolving Digital Self Podcast. Today I'm so excited to introduce my friend Lisa Stromberg to you. She is the author of Work Pause Thrive and the manager of the 3% movement, which we'll hear so much more about, I'm sure. There's so many great things that she's doing, so this doesn't even begin to express all of the incredible work that she's doing for women and for the, you know, the world in general. So thank you for joining us today, Lisa, and welcome. Thank you, Heidi. I'm so glad to be here. So you came from the advertising industry, and so this is a big place that has changed because of technology. So I would love to just sort of, between the advertising space and then also just being a mom, how have you seen things change because of
2: technology? Oh, you're asking a great question. And actually, there's there's two answers to that question, or there's many answers to questions. But I'll tell you. In advertising, we're seeing two things happen. One, we're seeing that technology allows us as humans to do things we never could do before, which is work remotely, work on our own schedules, collaborate, you know, with Google Docs or whatever it might be, which allows us some incredible freedom and time mastery. That's awesome. Unfortunately, in our industry, like so many other industries, the workplace itself just hasn't caught up the idea of working remotely, the idea of actually allowing for time mastery, which is what I think is what people really look for, just isn't happening. And so it's this, the technology is available, but the mindset isn't. And boy, if we could change the mindset, lots of good things could happen.
1: Yeah. Amen to that. I mean, that's really what the digital self is all about. It's sort of just helping people get to that place where they can be in a flow, peaceful relationship with technology. I'm curious what you've seen or experienced in that space of, have you seen or or felt that part of the workforce is more inclined to evolve with it and part of it feels like
2: I, I need to go find a different industry? That's a great question. What I am seeing is people, particularly women, although we see it with men as well, hitting a point where they're saying, look, I'm working like a dog. I'd like some more time to pursue what is important to me outside of work, be it family or, you know, a passion or volunteer work. And so they're looking for true work-life integration. And what they're doing is they're migrating out of advertising into companies where they believe they're going to get better work-life integration. And in many cases, they are. So we're seeing sort of a brain drain happen out of advertising because advertising as an industry isn't willing to accommodate or catch up. And that's going to really hurt our industry in the long term. So yeah, I'm hoping my industry kind of catches up so we can actually not lose all of this great talent.
1: Yeah. I mean I think that loss of talent, but do you also find that it empowers the independent agent? Have you seen more of that? And and how has
2: that really changed the shape well, ab- of the industry? Absolutely. We're seeing more and more people go freelance and kind of craft their own careers, which is an incredible thing, right? The idea that we actually have the ability to do this. In our own team at the 3% Movement, we're a distributed workforce. We have two people in our offices here in the, the Silicon Valley, and then we have people all over the country and that's how we work. We don't sort of sit there all together at one little place day in and day out. No, we're distributed and we do that. And the fact that that is available to us, which wasn't available just five, ten years ago, to me said that there's huge opportunity for entrepreneurship. The downside is, you know, you don't have benefits. We don't. You don't have security. You don't have 401ks. And so it's a real financial hit to people to decide to go out there if that's, even though the technology is there, maybe the financial resources as a result of the technology aren't there yet.
1: Yeah, no, absolutely. I think that that's a, a big challenge for freelancers. Being Having been a freelancer my whole career, I can definitely relate to that. I think that's a, you know, it's a big challenge and maybe... There's opportunities for creating new systems to support that better,
2: and I'm, I'm, I'm hopeful. Sure. That, that- we're, see- we're, we're seeing that already, right? The, the co-working spaces are creating communities themselves that are allowing for amazing things. Merely, the technology allowed us to become independent, which allowed us to create communities and create our own workplaces and our own workspaces. To me, that's such amazing innovation, and I think we're going to see more and more in that. What we haven't seen yet are the security blankets, child care, uh, you know, no kind of paternity leave or parental leave in any way, shape or form. I and mean, what do you do if you're a freelancer and you have a kid? You got to start working right away. You know, we kind of laugh at, oh, yes, you want maternity leave. Well, you're not going to get it if you're a freelancer. Right. So there are benefits and there are downsides to it. So the technology is driving opportunity, but it also our society hasn't caught up to bro- provide the infrastructure to support the opportunity available to us.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And that's touching a little bit more on your book, Work, Pause, yeah. Thrive. Can you talk a little bit about your book and, and, and sure. share with us what, that,
2: what that's about? Sure. It, so it came out of the notion of how I was watching so many women navigate their careers. We have a traditional mindset that a career is kind of marching up the ladder. And maybe that isn't true because look at yourself and look at myself. We have very nonlinear careers. But those nonlinear careers aren't their traditional mindset and traditional norm of what a career looks like. But I saw amazing women figuring out how to have this non-traditional path. They were totally trailblazing, new and innovative ways. And of course, during the, my lifetime, technology has allowed for that in a way that it just didn't exist before. But. No one was talking about these careers. And so I actually ended up interviewing 186 women and serving 1,500 more to find out how are women navigating the work-life integration? How are they actually doing this? And I was blown away by how entrepreneurial, innovative, thoughtful, and ambitious women were to go and make their lives kind of their own true paths. It was incredible. And back to your technology, technology allowed for it in ways that just didn't happen before.
1: Yeah, I have experienced it myself in the gift that it's provided because you know, having been an expat for the majority of my career, I could never have had that same connection with clients, potential customers, with my community and just understanding where things were moving without that technology in place and, it, and it's uh, a, so true. It's so true. It's an absolute gift.
2: Yeah. The the other thing I think is the, looking at careers as um sort of nonlinear, looking at, I I jokingly say, nonlinear is the new normal, right? I mean, millennials do it all the time. But the truth of the matter is, we have been doing this for years, particularly we women have been doing this for years. And no one's really talked about it. And that's kind of why I said, we got to get out there and and start naming it and start being truthful about what's really happening and how it's happening and why it's happening.
1: Yeah, I love it. It's like that naming it and owning it and sort of You know, in my book, I talk about sort of the anomaly is the norm and just get over it. That is the way it is now. There is no norm. And you have to create what's going to work for you. There's no rule book anymore. And that's a beautiful thing. But at the same time, for some people, it's quite scary.
2: Right. And it is scary. And I think that... I was just speaking to the head of talent at Ernst & Young, and they've been doing generational analyses. And what they're seeing, interestingly, is the youngest generation, what they're calling Generation Z, are now claiming they're going to be much more likely to go into more traditional career paths because we don't have infrastructure set up for them, again, with any kind of national policy to support them. So they're feeling like they need some kind of structure. But I challenge that thinking. I think, again, with technology allowing for so much disruption in the way we work, it creates opportunities for us to think differently. And so I, I don't agree with where their what their analysis is. Uh, go Ernst and Young, you're experts. But I think that we're going to do some really innovative and interesting ways that the next generation operates on a daily basis.
1: Yeah. Where and they I, work, I, how they work. Uh, yes, absolutely. And I think I, I, I'm with you on challenging that, but I do think that it just may look different, but that, that stability may be there. Maybe they will insist on having the, uh, the structures put into place, but those structures would be quite different than anything we've ever seen before.
2: Exactly, it may literally be that they're going to be the remote work generation that actually works for a corporation, but they all work remotely, right? I can do my work, uh, you know, on the beach and wherever, but I get my work done, and I promise to deliver, and all those things. It'll be a new, interesting contract with uh, cor- the corporate world and, and the employer, the employer and the employee, driven by technology. Yes,
1: yes, I think that's really exciting too. Having a little shift here because I think there's another piece that, you know, you and I have talked about personally before, but it's not necessarily on sort of the advertising or the parenting piece, but really looking at balance and self-actualization and just sort of really knowing who you are in your world and how to use the tools that are available to us to actually make that happen. What are your favorite tools that you use to really help you Keep in touch with what's going on for you.
2: That's such a great question. It's one of those questions that I don't ponder because I just use them. (laughs) So you're asking me to ponder what I do every day. Look, uh, you know, I know that there's now a growing group at Facebook uh, and Apple who are, who are early, who were early creators of those products who are now fighting against what they've created. And I, and I understand the urge to go back to a different way of being. That said, I feel so much better connected to my world because of both the social media that I use, be it Twitter, Facebook, uh, Instagram, LinkedIn, whatever it might be. I'm not a Snapchatter, so I can't get there. I know there are people who love it, my, my nieces and nephews. That plus all the apps that my iPhone brings to me, be it the recipes that I cook for my family be it the meditation I use in the morning, be it the counting of my steps, whatever it might be, to me, that has just enriched my life in a way that, that I just didn't have before. Now, what I don't have as much of and that I struggle with, and I think we all struggle with, and I think your book really addresses this and so much of your work addresses this, is the need for silence and the need to not to, to give myself permission to have the boundary and say, no, I'm not going to check my phone. I'm not going to respond to that email. I'm going to to manage my journey differently And I think that if I can teach my children and my family and the people in my world, anything, of course, do as I say, not as I do kind of thing. But if I can teach them anything, it would be literally to give themselves permission for some silence. But yeah, that I love my tools. (laughs) I love my app and all those things.
1: Absolutely. And I think that, you know, that silence is golden piece of, yeah. of just the, the value of that. And whether you're using something like a meditation app to create that silence, that's okay too. You have to find it in the way that feeds your soul in the best way again, it's the anomaly is the norm. You have to find what works for you. There's no one prescriptive way to make that happen. And, and part of it is just recognizing what your boundaries are and then building the support systems to make those happen. Do you have uh, particular methods or tools that you use in your household? So for an example, in my house, I have a docking station Mm -hmm. where when I come in, I dock my phone and actually it's, you know, it's, it's, A mixed blessing because it also means that nobody can call me when I'm at home or they can, but you know, I'm not going to hear it. It'll go straight to voicemail, but I do have my Apple watch. So, you know, if it's the, the people that I've identified, it will ring through onto my watch, but that's my way of creating that space of I'm home. I'm not, I'm available only to be fully present. Do you have any tools like that
2: that you use? Uh, It's called the mute button. (laughs) Um, When I walk in the door, I often turn off the ringer and any kind of notifications on my phone. I try and leave my laptop in my home office, you know, at my desk. I have a home office and I try and leave it there. I don't always succeed there, but I try and sort of put that stuff away. But on the flip side, I'm also really eager to stay informed. And so my phone is my... My newspaper, if you will, although I still get the New York Times, but my phone, in a hard copy, but my phone is my, my way of communicating with the world. So I also, it's not that I, it's, I choose to engage with it when I choose. I don't let it call to me if that makes sense. Now, when I'm out during the day at business meetings or whatever, and of course I want to be as responsive as possible. I'm also a bit of a Luddite in that I don't necessarily believe in the immediate uh, response to email. I promise to respond as best as I can within 24 hours, but I don't typically try and respond immediately. That's my own dragging my feet method of saying, come on, it's not that important. I can get back to you within 24 hours. And it seems to be true. I haven't seen, I haven't lost a client or an employee or anything else as a result of that strategy. <laughs> so.
1: No, I think that's a uh, that's a great point because there is sort of that that culture of immediacy. It's- and I think you know, again, it's, for everybody, it's different, but for, for myself, I know that I respond right away if I see it, but it's not based on the immediacy. It's more that I know if I don't respond to it now, it's going to go in the queue and I may forget about it. So it's more if I respond now, it, it particularly if it's something that's a quick thing, you know. That I just do a quick response, it's done, the task, you know, the person's connected or whatever. It's like we're having a conversation, oh, you should meet this person. I'm going to do it right that second because otherwise it's, who was it that I was going to connect them with? You know, I don't quite remember. You know, it's more just a, a way of managing the capacity of my brain.
2: Absolutely. And I, I do the exact same thing. I totally resonate with that. But anything that requires effort, I'm like, okay, I need to give us 24 hours, I need to give myself time to process this, I'm going to be, I'll fit that into my schedule. And I think, I think that you, you mentioned the immediacy of now. And I think that is, if there's any boundary we can create, that would be healthy, that I would encourage people to think about, and that I myself struggle with, so I'm not at all <laughs> claiming to be an expert is that what's important versus what's immediate, and those subtle differences and understanding that you and the technology makes everything immediate, but it doesn't make everything important. And so having the the, the self-clarity of what you believe to, that you're willing to invest in your time, because all we have is time. Time is our greatest gift and how we spend it is the measure of our days, you know. So how we choose to allocate our time and respond to things to me is really important. And I try and put thought into it. I'm not always, I can, I'm, you know, who walks the talk every day, but I do try and put thought into that.
1: Yeah. And I think that sort of plays along with your, well, I, I know your work, pause, thrive was, was more about the, the overall, you know, you take time away from work to, in order to thrive, but it's that, you know, taking the a moment pause. to recognize, you know, what's, what's a valuable use of your time, whether that's silence or whether that's full on engagement or, Whatever it is in that moment, it's that having that, you know, face-to-face conversation with your most important client or your child, you know, sort exactly of Exactly right.
2: That presence. Exactly
1: right. Peace.
2: Exactly. And I think presence is the hardest thing, right? Because, you know, as mothers, we know we want to be present for our children. And yet in the back of your mind, you're thinking, oh, my gosh, my client needs this by the end of the day, whatever that might be. And I, I am always so... My heart goes out to all of us who feel guilt that they can't be fully present with whatever they're in. And I I just invite us to give ourselves permission and be a little bit more recognition of our humanity and say, it's okay. Maybe we we can use this moment to be present and know that whatever else is the priority can be pushed back. So yeah, I'm right there with you. My little little mini pauses, as I call them. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And well, in another piece to the presence is also presence doesn't have to be perfect. Sort of that, you know, sometimes being fully present is showing up, come as you are and just say, here I am as I am. And that's the best gift that I can give you. I'm not bringing anything fake to this interaction.
2: I'm just here. Which I think actually technology is inviting us to do because you and I are looking at each other over Zoom, right? And We've had this conversation. Do you put on your lipstick and get all fancy, even though, you know, maybe that's not the right solution or whatever your you know, what it means to dress up for you? Or do you just say, hey, I didn't have a chance to do that yet this morning, but I'm going to really be here for you and I'm going to be totally present. And I love that technology allows us to bring our authentic selves in all of our interactions and maybe break down some of that barrier of the facade of perfection, So that's another gift that technology has given, I think, that we'll be reading about, researchers will be looking at, and we'll be seeing in a whole new way in 10 or years, 15 years from now.
1: Yeah, oh, absolutely. And I I think, you know, as you're talking about that, it's just making me think. Yesterday, I was putting together this slide deck for a presentation I'm making this week. And I was looking for sort of the perfect picture of the remote worker where it's like you're dressed in the top and then the bottom you're wearing your pajamas or your bathing suit or whatever and you're that is becoming more and more of the ultimate scenario, so why are we faking it? why don't we just you know wear your pajamas and be like aren't these pajamas awesome
2: you know? just please wear the pajamas yeah, well yeah I mean <laughs>
1: you know there's there's definitely uh you know some, some professionalism probably. to a certain degree that you have to keep yeah. with but but really I mean It's not that they don't know that's what you're wearing underneath. You know, it's sort of, okay, fine, clean yourself up so that you're presentable. But it's sort of, what is the new norm there? Is it okay to, you know, you have the whole Silicon Valley show up in your sweatshirt and that's professionalism to, you know, where majority of my career over in Europe, it was like, if you're not wearing a dark suit, you're, you know, you're totally inappropriate. And so I look at my closet now and it's like, okay, I have... Half of it is black suits and the other half
2: is sort of, you know, beach yoga tucks. pajamas. exactly. <laughs> but, you know, what's really interesting is I think that going back to how technology is changing things, I think it will be breaking down those barriers because I have global clients. And in fact, I'm, I have noticed in the course of the past number of years, even the Europeans, uh, uh, you know, who might have been more uh, traditionally dressed, if you will, are loosening up. So there is an authenticity that this is happening. There's a kind of a shifting that's happening about what we think of as the norm. We used to think that if you were wearing your yoga pants, that meant you weren't completely ambitious and committed to your career. And I think the the rise of the distributed worker, the rise of this kind of nonlinear career, the rise of the technology that allows for all this has allowed us to realize that Great work gets done right after your yoga class, in your yoga pants, on the client call, in your car, whatever it looks like. And that doesn't mean you're not ambitious. It doesn't mean you're not capable. And so I love how technology is freeing us up to be kind of fuller, richer versions of ourselves that might not have existed twenty years ago or fifteen years ago.
1: Yeah, and actually, you know, that brings up an interesting point with the whole sort of yoga pants thing of, you know, you and I are both, you know, in the 50 plus category. And I, you know, I have this little This is, you know, my pet peeve of all of this focus on young women entrepreneurs. When I see these amazing things being done by women in their next chapter and just, you know, the, their capability, they have the years of experience. They took a pause, they came back and they are kicking butt. And they are also in a place in their life where they're like, I don't care if you judge me. I'm showing up and I'm doing my stuff. So if I show up in my yoga pants and I kick butt in this meeting, too bad you don't like my yoga pants. Listen to what I'm saying.
2: There's well, I want to validate there. that. There is power. And what I want to validate is that what we're seeing is a huge rise of entrepreneurship for women over the age of 50. Part of it is because, you know, it's to take no prisoners, you know, I got t- 20, 30 years left in my life and goddamn it, I'm going to rock this world. There's part of that very empowered place. It's also partly because there's a lot of ageism that says we're not going to hire you. So what are these women doing? They're like, you're not going to hire me. Well, you're dumb. I'm going to go out and rock it. And again, how did technology help them? They couldn't have done that 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But because the technology exists so that they can create their own PowerPoint, presentations on their laptop after the yoga of the class and call that client on their iPhone, you know, and make sure they're using their Apple Watch to, make, to, to, to wait for that call to come in kind of thing. There's a freedom that didn't exist before. And I think it's a hidden freedom. And, you know, there, to your point, there's lots of amazing women and men who are becoming innovators and becoming entrepreneurs at this kind of second phase of their life, Or third, depending on how you look at it, because they realize that the traditional work model, the traditional workplace doesn't work for them. And so they're innovating and they're doing what I talk about, which is that the nonlinear is the new normal. And they're just navigating their own incredible trailblazing way. It's really powerful. I know as a mother, my children have said to me, wow, you've shown me it can be done in so many different ways. And that's really validating. And so I look at myself and think, wow, they, they see this and they see how I'm innovating and how I'm just trying to figure out new things to make it work. And I think that's a great lesson.
1: Yeah, I think it's, it's a beautiful lesson. And, and you know, kudos to you that you've been able to show that to your kids and they're, you know, enough so that they're actually acknowledging it and going, I can do this too. I mean, that's, that's pretty awesome because, you know, as we know, kids are, you know, they're busy doing their own stuff. So they rarely stop to actually be like, wow, my parents are doing cool stuff. It's more like, ah, you're lame. (laughs) (laughs) I'm still lame, but but here you have it. Yeah, but you are a parent, so I mean, that's, right. uh, you know, that is our exactly. our role. Our, our job is to embarrass them and just one of my favorite pastimes personally, but, but it, but it is nice when they, in, you know, in a moment of weakness, acknowledge what they see us mirroring and, and go, yeah, I kind of want to do that too. That's great. So yeah, no, it's, it's pretty amazing. This episode is brought to you by Oscar Wellness. When pain stops, life begins. Oscar Pulse mimics the body's own recovery processes to relieve pain, muscle stiffness, and inflammation using optimized pulsed electromagnetic field technology, PEMF, to encourage recovery at a cellular level so you can get back to life. And I got to tell you, this thing works so well, my husband and I are fighting over it. So I highly recommend you take a moment and try it out. They have all kinds of options for checking it out, and they've even given us an opportunity to share a discount with you, $55, by using the 2BU code on the Osco Wellness site. You can check out the show notes to get more details. And in terms of your work with the 3% movement, because we didn't really touch on that as well. And I know that there's a big thing, a lot of that has to do with, you know, the amount of women in the workplace. And there's a lot of shifts we're seeing happening right now. I mean, look at what's going on in Iceland. Good, you know, go Iceland. Tell us a little bit more about 3%, because I, you know, I think that's something people would love to hear about.
2: Sure. So 3%, um, that actual statistic comes from research that showed that only 3% of creative directors, i.e. the leaders in advertising that create the advertising were women. So let's flip that. 97% of advertising created by men, right? Which you could argue might be a good thing if, in fact, you don't track back to the research that reveals in the United States about 80 to 85% of purchasing decisions and purchases themselves are made by women. So if you're an advertiser, you're you know, a brand, and you want to sell to the purchaser, you want to make sure that the person who's creating the ads is actually somewhat representative of the purchaser. Kind of obvious business decisions, right? But it's not. And in fact, it's shockingly low. Well, now we've just completed some new research that shows that it's about 29%. Yeah. So seven years ago, when we started, it was 3%. Now it's 29%. So we're seeing some really dramatic shifts in our industry, which is exciting. Unlike tech, there's absolutely no barrier to entry. There's no pipeline problem. We've got women coming into advertising 50-50 graduating from design schools, et cetera. So there isn't a rationale or an excuse for there not to be, you know, equitable representation and leadership. But what we do see is much like every other industry, a dramatic drop-off during these high childbearing years, you know, the 30s and the 40s. We see women leaving on moths. And in fact, research that we had done at 3% revealed that unlike the national population, where about 80% of college-educated women are mothers, in advertising, it's about 39%. Dramatically low. And when you kind of deconstruct what that's about, it literally is about these women feel that they can't be mothers in our industry What's interesting is we find that men actually feel somewhat the same way, of, and where m- women will say, "I'm leaving because I want to be more engaged mothers," men will say, "Well, I'm leaving because I want to have better job opportunity." But their real reason is they want better work-life integration. So we're working really hard with agencies and brands to kind of deconstruct this, to figure out how can we get beyond this and get beyond this problem set? And how can we actually disrupt advertising so we don't lose all this great talent? So that's the work we do. We have a, a, a conference that we run annually, creates a lot of awareness, and we do a lot of consulting, and we have a new certification program. We actually go in and analyze agencies to figure out what are best places to work for women and other other represented populations so it's really exciting and, and and people will say oh my gosh you know it's so awful and my answer is oh my god it's so great because finally we have a business people understand this isn't a nice to do it's a business decision they have to create diverse workplaces they have to create environments in where everyone can belong because they leave and if they leave the advertisers won't hire the bar- the agencies so it's it's exciting times Yeah, no, it's, it's very
1: exciting. And, and I mean, having come more from the branding side rather than the advertising side, we see the same thing. It's very few women that are in the leadership roles. They're in the supporting roles. And a lot of them do step back to do freelance work in order to have families. And that's really a shame because women are incredibly creative. Of course, there's the, the business value of, like you're saying. I mean, the people that are making the purchasing decisions are women. And if you're not communicating to them clearly, you're losing the opportunity for new customers and supporting your existing customers. So it's a, it's a really big issue. And I'm so glad someone's finally
2: tackling it. Well, you know, you know, this in technology, it's a major issue in how we create products, right? If we're not thinking through what the user experience is, and who the purchaser is, and we're not including that person in the product development phase, it's a missed opportunity and might be even tone deaf. I mean, I know you probably laughed like crazy when they called it the iPad, right? Um, Or there's that whole kind of calendar tracking. Many women track their menstrual cycles for a whole host of reasons, right? But we didn't, calendar tracking never had that in the beginning because it was created by men who didn't understand that that's a vital tool for women to manage their fertility, to manage their good health and well being. It just wasn't even part of their thinking. And because why would it be, right? And so if you don't actually have diverse populations, part of the innovation conversation, part of how products, how technology is made, and then how advertising and media and how we perceive the world is made, you're just missing out, literally missing out on a huge opportunity, if not offending the purchasers. So it's a missed opportunity. Absolutely, absolutely. And I saw a lot of that. And when I was
1: doing my research, my dissertation research around wearables, it's like, these are designed by male engineers, and you're, they want women to wear them. I mean, it was just unbelievable how little Thought went into the user experience. Now, I think that that is definitely, that needle is changing. It's moving. There's more conversation around the importance of UX designers. And I think for anybody out there that's, you know, still looking at what's my next career move, hey, a user experience designer, UX designer, send your kids in that direction. They will never be sorry, you know, for, at loss for a job. They are so much needed. But it's just, I think it's again, it's just the tip of the iceberg in terms of really understanding development processes, design processes, understanding your your customer, and understanding your employees and and your population. Because when you're designing workspaces, the same thing they need to be they need to take into account who's there and how do you support them in the best way.
2: Yeah, one of the things I wanted to touch on and that people often ask me so you know. What it, what's at the heart of this? And I think really the heart of it and going back to how workplace is changing, our workplaces are still built around the notion of the ideal worker. The ideal worker is someone who's available 24-7, who's work devoted. And if they do have family needs at home, they have someone at home taking care of them, the housewife, right? I put that in quotes because we have a growing rise of stay-at-home fathers and men. But anyways, that model is crumbling because financially in our country we can't afford to have someone staying at home, right? Unlike Scandinavian countries, you talked about Iceland, who actually have resources and actually through most of Europe, who provide national medical care and you know they their education is funded dramatically. They actually provide parental leave, that kind of and, and subsidize childcare. We don't have them in our country. There is no safety net in any way, shape, or form. And I wouldn't even call it a safety net. I would actually call it essential net so that we can actually function. We don't have that. And so as a result, we have to have two working couples to support our families in our world. But the workplace is built around that ideal worker. So what we see is we see an interesting rise of women who have been successful, who have now hit a point where their husbands assuming they're in a you know, heteronormative relationship, their husbands are staying home. And we're seeing a rise of stay-at-home dads for this very reason. If the workplace has changed, then both these men and women can get out there and be productive and contribute to our economies. But we're not doing that yet. And so that's going to be, I think, a really interesting thing over the next 10 or 15 years. And how technology supports that will be a way we won't even understand. And I can't wait to see that, that progression evolve.
1: Yeah, I I look forward to maybe revisiting this conversation a year from now just to see what kinds of shifts because the technology is moving so fast but it's more a question of how it gets really integrated and adopted so that it can support these new models which Exactly. Um, that I need think it's very exciting. I, I look forward to seeing, you know, like we were talking about with generation Z, how my kids, what their day of work looks like. And and even I mean, we see that now in the way that they experience education. It's completely different. I've even seen in the short period of, you know, from middle school to high school, where, you know, they were walking around with these enormous backpacks that were basically the, you know, weighed as much as they did to now an iPad. Mm-hmm. And all of their homework they do online. And so, you know, I think it's kind of funny, because they're like, Oh, you need a digital detox, you know, take your computer away from your kids. I'm like, how are they going to do their homework?
2: Exactly. (laughs) It's exactly right. It's exactly right. Um, One of the things I think will be really interesting. And let's let's keep this let's put a pin in this future thought. We have a notion of the weekend. But I don't know that the notion of the weekend is going to really ever exist in the next 10 years or 15 years because if we have the freedom to work where we want when we want, we have the freedom to work how we want, why would you have a weekend? Because on a Wednesday, I might decide to go surfing, right? And on Sunday, I might be working like a dog to finish that client proposal, where does weekend go then? So let's, let's keep that in mind as we move ahead.
1: I love it. I love it. So the technology impact on weekends, that's a very good conversation <laughs> to put a pin on. Exactly. Um, you know what? I know you've got a hard stop coming up. So I just want to honor that and really just express my sincere appreciation for you joining me today on the Evolving Digital Self podcast. Such a pleasure to see you again, Lisa. Oh, Heidi, it was a pleasure. Keep doing the great work. Thank you so much. And until next time, we'll see you again on the Evolving Digital Self podcast. Thanks for joining us today. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, review, and share. And we'll see you all soon. Take care. Bye-bye for now.
0: Thank you for joining us for the Evolving Digital Self. Be sure to subscribe on your favorite podcast app now so that you don't miss a single episode. While you're at it, please give us a rating and a review and join the digital self mastery movement to create more conscious use of technology by sharing it and telling your friends. Want to see where you fit on the digital self spectrum and how it might be impacting your business and relationships? Get your free copy of Digital Self Mastery today by clicking on the link in the show notes.